morning. Welcome to Regen. We're so glad to have you with us, especially on this snowy, cold morning. Thank you for those of you who ventured out. Um, if it's your first time with us, we're so glad to have you. We hope that you find yourself uh, interrupted by the love and grace of Jesus this morning. And we also have a free coffee mug out on the back. So if you'd like to grab one of those on your way out, that's just our gift to you to say thanks for being here with us this morning. Um, just a couple of announcements. One of the things we do here is we do check-ins. And so if you have a social media account and do the hashtag RegenGives, that goes to our very own Candace Cooper, who is going to be heading to Thailand probably sometime late summer, early fall, to do some ministry there. Um, also, we have our couples conference coming up on February 23rd. Am I saying the right date? <laughs> February 23rd. Be right here at Regen from 9 to 4. That's for dating, um, engaged, and married couples. So we'd love to have you join us for that. We'll have more information coming on social media um, and just details about that coming as well. And then just kind of a little bit of business. If you are interested in helping paint, which we're going to be doing the painting project out there starting next Saturday, um, if you want to just see me after the service, we're just going to have like a really quick meeting if you're someone who's willing to come out and be part of the paint crew. Um, we're super excited about those updates. So I think those are all of our announcements for this morning. So I'm going to have Kayla come up and uh, pray for our offering, and then she'll be passing these buckets as well. Good morning, guys. When you get the side eye from your pastor when you're sitting over there, you know you're about to be called up for something. <laughs> um, let's pray for offering together. Dear God, thank you so much that we can just come together as a family and just glorify and worship you. And I pray that um, as a family, we can just give to you um, all that we have um, through our tithing and through our offering, and that those funds can go to glorify you and the community around us. Amen. Father, you, you were with us this week when we got the bad news, when we got the good news. You were with us this week when the wave of disappointment hit us again. And yet you remain faithful to the end of our story. And so we trust you. We trust you with what we cannot see and what we cannot be sure of and what we cannot comprehend. We entrust ourselves to your heart and to your character. God, thanks for kids because they remind us really of what we are in relation to you. We set ourselves up as strong and independent, but we really are just crying out for our inner need for you. And so we're so thankful that when we call out for you, you come and you take the stairs three at a time. So, Father, um, wherever the nature of the Lord is spoken of, there he is present. We know this. And so would you be present here in this place with us this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, I'm going to send kids back with Miss Kayla. So off they go. And uh, get myself situated here. Um, Welcome to Regen. My name's Kyle. I get to be the pastor here. Uh, we are, for those of you keeping track at home, and we definitely are, we are on day nine of Tiny Tenant Watch. We have hit single digits, um, and so uh, we've put together a plan here. Uh, when I disappear, uh, what will happen is Zach will be in the pulpit one week, Aaron will be in the pulpit the next. We have a third backup just in case 
But so I don't know. This could be it. I don't know. Maybe next week. We'll see. I wish it was three days ago. So we're we're getting super antsy. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 11 this morning. Uh, this series, practicing the way. Thanks, Vanessa, for kicking that off last week, while I was still recovering from puking my brains out in the most like violent, intense way I've ever experienced in my life. Um, really fast, just as we start, and let me see if I can summarize this quickly. But. I led our staff through an exercise this week where I invited them to, ahead of meeting, uh, identify one, two, or three things that we could be praying over our church in the coming year. And so we wrote those down on post-its, we stuck them on a wall, and I said, what themes do we see in here? What, what's God saying to us in this season? Um, and somebody that happened to be in the room, Art's friend, Tony, who Zach later described to someone as Santa, because he knows everything about you, um, and knows everything in general, uh, Tony brought up a little verse out of the book of Leviticus that said, there shall be a fire burning on the altar at all times. Uh, so to give you a snippet of Old Testament imagery, there was an altar in the temple or in the tabernacle where there were always hot coals that were warm and burning. So imagine when you're grilling, when they go gray. Uh, And the image that came to mind was, God is inviting us this year to keep hot coals on the altar um, so that we are ready to kind of take on whatever the Lord is bringing us. New people, new experiences, new callings, some stuff like that. And so the three things that we're praying over our church to keep, uh, hi Zoe, I see you waving, hi. the three things that I am that we as a staff are going to be praying over every other week when we meet, and we're going to have somehow, and I sent it out in an email, which footnotes all of this. If you're not getting the Regen emails, you need to be. You sign up for them with the Hey card at the back, uh, and you know I'm not naming names, but most people like to come ten minutes after announcements happen. So if you want to know what's going on in our community, signing up for the emails is a really great way to do that. Um, but we send it out by email. But the three ways that we're praying about keeping the altar full of hot coals. Um, One has to do with discipleship, so inviting and challenging everyone into a deeper relationship with Jesus that ultimately leads to multiplication um, and investing in the lives of others. Another way we want to keep the coals hot is through community. So if you think about how you put out a fire, you spread the coals out over a great distance and then the fire goes out. Um, When we are not in community, it's easy for the fire to go out. Um, and the other thing that we're praying over our community, um, it comes from this verse in Zechariah where the, the Lord sends angels out over the earth in a really bad season, and the angels come back and say, there's peace, like peace be still, everything's fine. Um, I especially can drag my staff into a place of anxiety pretty easy, um, and so my commitment and our commitment as a staff is to work from a place of non-anxiousness. Um, and so we're going to be sending out more emails about this. I'm thinking about trying to figure out to get like a magnet or something, but we really want to be praying that our altar would be warm so that our altar would be full of hot coals so that we're ready to receive what the Lord has for us and that we're being disciples, that we're living in community and that we're operating in peace. I think the peace, the peace piece, the peace part uh, is important because I just know where we're at in this season of life. I know there's a lot of anxiety about our kids, about our health, about our futures, about a lot of these things. And the Lord's word to that is like, hey, no big deal. Like everything from my perspective is at peace. So um, discipleship, community, and and peace is really what we're shooting for. And it was a really fun exercise, I think, for our staff because what the Lord had for us bubbled to the top nice and quickly. Okay, Matthew 11. Matthew 11, series, Practicing the Way. Here's something you start to notice when you hang around church for a little bit. 
when a person first steps across the line of faith, they experience this rapid, sometimes explosive spiritual growth. Not everybody, but a lot of people. And during this time, the stuff that the spiritual mothers and fathers call the gross sins, which are like those big, nasty, giant sins that kind of take over our hearts and our lives, they, they, they get weeded out. There's this passion to tell other people about Jesus. There's this attitude of how are we not telling other people about this. The songs that they hear and sing in church and on the radio like really stick with them. Uh, They mean a great deal. They get into their Bibles. They pray a lot. They love all of these. I mean, new Christians, people that have stepped across the line of faith are like golden retriever puppies. I mean, ton of energy, ton of excitement. Bring it on. But it doesn't happen in the first year. It doesn't happen in the fifth year, but sometimes by then. Somewhere along the process... Many of us end up experiencing like a slowdown in that growth. We hit a spiritual plateau. There's sin to be dealt with. There are patterns of emotional unhealthiness that the Lord would like to work out. But there isn't a whole lot of movement. And where there was once this passion and zeal and energy, there's just this blah to the spiritual life that happens. And when this happens, people tend to do one of two things. When they hit this wall this wall or this plateau of blahness, they tend to say one of two things. The first is that they will throw up their hands and they will say, this is just the way that I am. We come to believe that drastic change, that true transformation from the hands of Jesus is impossible. So the relational patterns we're stuck in in our marriage, the relational patterns we're stuck in with our friends, the anxiety, the depression, the hurt from our past, it's just always going to be this way. And so we hear words of scripture that say things like, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. We hear that and we just assume that the authors of scripture are being hyperbolic or exaggerating or, or, or being pie in the sky. And what it comes down to is we settle for a Christianity that de- determines how we vote and determines how we spend some of our free time and we just kind of nibble around the edges. We just nibble around the edges. And, and, and these other maybe smaller, more acceptable sins like grumbling and control and complaining and gluttony and these other compulsions we have, they just kind of grow like weeds unchecked, but we don't worry about them because that's just who I am. That's the one response. The other response is to start grumbling at your church and to say something like, I'm just not being fed. And so we look for greener pastures, which generally equates to a pastor who has a certain way of saying things, a certain way of bringing insights, that when he or she says something, it just gives us the tingles. And those tingles, when we hear a new insight or a new idea, we begin to equate with spiritual maturity, with spiritual meat, and so we throw ourselves into this church's activity. But before long, before too much time passes, we begin to feel that itch again and we say, I'm just not being fed and we move on to look for something different. Now there's a third option. There's a third option for getting through the wall or around it and if you take this way from the beginning, you hit the wall in a very different way or sometimes even not at all and, that's, and that, that third way is becoming practitioners of the way of Jesus practitioners of the way of Jesus. It's pursuing not cultural Christianity, nor a political agenda, nor theological accuracy, nor mercy and justice, nor inclusion, nor biblical knowledge, nor a prophetic word, nor like ecstatic worship experience, at least none of these things on their own. Instead, it's pursuing and becoming 
a practitioner of the way of Jesus. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which we taught through this summer, you'll recall that there's this little, like, core, like, this is how Jesus wraps a bow on, here's everything that it means to be a, a Christian. Christian means literally little Christ, not Republican, not Democrat, not in favor of this social issue, not somebody that shares, like, cute things on my Instagram, but, but a, a little Jesus, a little Christian, when he wraps up what it means to do that, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and they beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, everyone who is like gets a little tingle when Kyle says something and puts it on Twitter or puts it on Instagram, everybody who reads a Christian book and like puts the highlight and like up here and like everybody who does these things but does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. What Jesus says is non-negotiable is the winds blowing against the house, the rain's coming down. It's not an, a, an if, but a when. That's non-negotiable. What, what's up for questioning, what could go either way, is whether or not the house, stand, the house of our life stands or the house of our life crumbles, and it all has to do with the degree to which we've put into practice the words of Jesus. And I meet a lot of people who love church and love Christian music and love doing Christian things who when the wind comes and blows against the house and the, and the rains come and the house collapses, they are shocked to find out that that is the case. But it is because they have not been putting into practice the teachings of Jesus. They've enjoyed being a cultural Christian, They've enjoyed the benefits that supposedly come from like being Christian. So like, I like the peace that comes with it. I like knowing that when somebody in my life is sick, I can pray and God might do something about it. I like that. But I don't like the idea of wrapping my life around Jesus. I don't like the idea of what Jesus is really shooting for. Jesus is shooting for us to become practitioners of his way. A way that is forgiveness and freedom. Becoming a practitioner of Jesus is another way of saying becoming an apprentice of Jesus, which is another way of saying being a disciple of Jesus, which is another way of saying like doing your internship with Jesus. The goal of this series for us as a church, if you're new to our community, I'm trying to shift our language. I want language of discipleship and apprenticeship and spiritual formation. I want that to be normal. I want that to be normal. Right? And this is what that could look like. I said this at our last campus, more traditional, uh, higher age. When people at Grace Church pass away, it always says, so-and-so was a member of Grace United Methodist Church for 35 years. And I said, I would like you to go home and rewrite your obituary so it says, so-and-so was a lifelong disciple of Jesus who just so happened to be a member at this church. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? We want to replace this language of church and fellowship, which we don't use a lot, which is good, or even community. We want to replace those words and give more colorful meaning to these words of discipleship and apprenticeship. Jesus is looking for apprentices. He's looking for people who make it their highest goal to do three things, to be with Jesus, 
to be like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. This is what lies at the core of apprenticeship. First, be with Jesus, developing a friendship, a conversational, relational connection with Jesus that is possible for everyone, not just the super weird and hyper-spiritual. Be like Jesus, a transformation of our inner world so that our natural and unthought about responses to things look like the natural and unthought about responses of Jesus. What, what, what apprenticeship to Jesus is and the end of it is this transformation such that when I, am encountered, when I encounter a person who is hard to love, which is like everybody, um, instead of having to work really hard and to try to love them, there's been a transformation of my inner world such that loving them comes naturally. That's what it means to be like Jesus. And then we're called to do what Jesus did. Now, you remember I had one. Uh, WWJD bracelets, what would Jesus do? You, you miss that sentence. You, you, you miss it if you cut off the last half of the sentence. It's not what would Jesus do, so let me try to imagine what that is and go do it. It's what would Jesus do if he were me? How, would Je- how Jesus would live his life if he were in my life is how I'm to live. My goal is to make Steph feel like she's married to Jesus, and I assure you she does not. Uh, my goal will be to make our son Jack feel like he is being parented by Jesus. I am entirely sure he will not. Um, Whether we are parenting or grandparenting, when we're doing our jobs, these things, the, the, the vision is, what would Jesus do if he were in my place and how do I do that same thing? That's what apprenticeship to Jesus looks like. Be with Jesus, be like Jesus, do what Jesus did. And one of the ways that we talk, we've talked about this before and I think it's still helpful, is this triangle up in and out that we see Jesus coming from the Father uh, up, uh, coming from a family to start a spiritual family of brothers and sisters in, but with an eye to expand that spiritual family. So one of the series in this sermons in this Practicing the Way is ultimately going to have to be about, you can't say you're a disciple until you've made a disciple, because disciples by nature replicate, right? By nature, they invest themselves in others in a way that kind of produces new life. What we're talking about to, in, in this series and where I'm trying to shift our church is to talk about spiritual formation, the work of putting on the character of Christ so that our inner world looks like the inner world of Jesus, becomes the inner world of Jesus. And I want to be clear about something. First, I need to be clear about it. I'm really hot. Um, uh, I want to be clear about this. This is not a new legalism. So the problem that Jesus had, had with religious people then and has with the religious people now is that their outsides don't match their insides, right? That they're out. So Jesus looks at these Pharisees, these religious elite of his day, and he says, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is dirty. He says, you, you are a whitewashed tomb. It looks really good on the outside, but inside everything is dead. What Jesus doesn't want is for you to start reading your Bible and practicing solitude and the discipline of celebration or this, this, and this, and that not to evoke anything on the inside. What Jesus is looking for is something to happen at the transformation of our inner world that moves to the outside so that our insides and our outsides match. Jesus doesn't care about church attendance unless it matches something going on on the inside. Jesus doesn't care about giving unless it matches something going on on the inside. Jesus doesn't care about external behavior unless it is inextricably linked with an inward thing too. He wants inside to match outside. I'm not articulating a new legalism. I'm not saying go and read your Bible. 
just for the sake of going and reading your Bible. Beth Moore has a really good clip that's been going around on the internet about that. I'm saying let's be people who have something going on on the inside. And this is always Jesus' invitation. Scripture's invitation is to apprentice ourselves to Jesus. And one of my favorite versions of this invitation that he gives is in Matthew chapter 11. And he says, he says this. This is the message. If you're, not good, if you're not really read the Bible, read the message. It's super helpful. He says, it says, abruptly, Jesus broke into prayer. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have concealed your ways from sophisticates and know-it-alls, but spelled them out clearly to ordinary people. Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work. Now, you gotta have context. A text without context is pretext. The context of this is Jesus is kind of pointing the finger at these cities where he did some of his most powerful miracles, and those miracles did not produce faith in the people that witnessed them. We have this tendency to believe, if I just could see a miracle, if I could see it with my eyes, then I would figure it out. Listen, thousands of people saw Jesus do all sorts of things that never made anything click. It pushes us away as much as it draws us in, right? And so, and so he, he accuses these cities of not getting it, and then he says, but I'm thankful, Father, that you've concealed your ways from sophisticates and know-it-alls, but you spelled them out clearly to ordinary people. And then it says, he resumed talking to the people, now tenderly. The Father has given me all of these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. See, here's what happened. When we were made, our first parents, Adam and Eve, live with the father, live with God in this really great, life-giving, satisfying, joyful, free, forgiven connection. And what happens is our first parents kind of look to the side and decide to try to find that satisfaction in something else. And that fractures this relationship. So the father sends his son, Jesus, we're now kind of getting into the Trinity here. The father sends his son, Jesus, the second Adam, to restore us into that relationship that we were made for. To restore us into the relationship that gives us joy and forgiveness and freedom and satisfaction. And this is what Jesus is talking about. This unique father-son operation that he's letting us in on line by line is Jesus saying, come and sit half cheek with me in my relationship with the father. And here's what I mean by half cheek. Have you ever like run out of room at your table? It's like you scoot over and put half your cheek on it and then the other person puts half their cheek on it, right? You're half cheeking it, right? Um, really good theology here at Regen, just letting you know. Uh, profound. Jesus invites us into a relationship where we half cheek with him in his relationship with the Father. So this life-giving connection that Jesus has, he says, come and share this with me, and this is what we were always meant to have. So Jesus says, I've got this unique father-son operation. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to go over it line by line. I'm willing to invite you into this. I'm willing to help you find your way to joy and satisfaction and peace and forgiveness and freedom. So, so we say, how do we get into that? Jesus then says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. 
Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You want to learn to live freely and lightly? Do you want to find rest for your souls? Do you want the unforced rhythms of grace? Are you tired? Are you worn out? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, it's coming into this half-cheeking it with Jesus so that we can be in this relationship that we were made for. And the way that we step into that is the spiritual practices. It's by practicing the way of Jesus. It's about apprenticing ourselves to Jesus. It's about being with Jesus, being like Jesus, doing what Jesus did. And so we need to notice three things about Jesus's invitation. We need to notice three things about Jesus's invitation. The spiritual practices, solitude, celebration, study, evangelism, discipleship, uh, any of these things, these, the, the, these spiritual practices have no magic power of their own, but they open us up to God's grace so that we can step into that connection that we were always meant to have. This is why there's this really interesting line that Paul has in Philippians 2 where he says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. There is this cooperative effort that we undertake through the disciplines, through practicing the way, by apprenticing ourselves to Jesus, that, that, that helps us step into that half-cheeking. And it's how we kind of align our hearts and our souls and our minds and our bodies and our spirits into this relationship that we meant to have. It's, that's where we find the forgiveness. That's where we find the freedom. That's where we find the satisfaction. That's where we find the joy. So Jesus makes, a couple, makes three invitations here in this, these little verses. I don't want you to miss first that Jesus' invitation to apprenticeship is profoundly relational. He uses words like come to me and get away with me and keep company with me. Jesus is inviting us into relationship with him. And by being in relation to Jesus, a relationship with his father through the power of the Holy Spirit, just to round out the Trinity. We make a big deal as evangelicals about how every person needs to make a personal decision to make Jesus the Lord and master of their life, that every person needs to make a personal commitment. Like, God doesn't have grandchildren. It doesn't matter that your parents believed what they believed, right? It's up to you. So we talk a lot about personal commitment. What I find lacking in a lot of our dialogue is we don't make a big deal about every person having a personal connection. We need, re- we need personal commitment and relational connection with Jesus, We need personal commitment and relational connection to Jesus. He's not just looking for us to do certain things. He's not just looking for us to fake it till we make it. He's not just looking for us to behave a certain way. He wants our insides to match our outsides. And so the way of Jesus is about the transformation of both of those things. It is about the melding of those two things. Jesus wants to be with you. And I don't want in using language that says we want our lives to look like the life of Jesus to say that we're putting on a show. What I'm saying is we want there to be a matching between our life and the life of Jesus that you kind of, you know, remember those transparencies that we saw in school that you could put one over the other and they would match. That's what we're looking for, congruence. Be with Jesus. It's, it's a profoundly relational and it's also restful. Jesus is offering us grace and rest. He's saying we're going to recover our life because, and he says he wants to give us life, which is good news because as far as I can tell, everybody is interested in taking my life. And here's how I see this most clearly. I see parents frantically running their children to a million different activities in the name of giving them skills or making them happier, 
Show me the study that says that your kids and their 17 activities make them happier and more successful for life, and I'll sign on. But every study I'm seeing is saying, actually, this isn't working. And so when your pastor starts talking to you about being more committed to the way of Jesus, it's now just this other thing crying for your attention. So now I have to fit this in between soccer practice and basketball practice and hockey. I don't know if anybody plays that and drama and band and all of these things. And let me be super clear with you about something, parents. If the vast majority of your kid's life goes to an activity that like is other than Jesus and we just fit Jesus in on the edges, let's not be surprised at the end of their life where their feelings about Jesus land. Because where we spend our lives is ultimately the place like where, where, we will, where we will make our decisions. And I'm saying, like, go do baseball. Go do all that. Zach Byler is going to be the, the head coach for Howland Varsity this year. Mitch and Dan Collins are going with him to do that. Like, we're going to pray for them and send them as missionaries. Because I'm not saying don't go to basketball. Please go to basketball. Please do it. Don't let your basketball inform your Christianity. Let Christianity inform your basketball. Don't let, don't let band. You see what I'm doing? Like, and there's this thing. But at the end of the day, the thing that I get really worried about is I watch all of these parents chasing after this life. And at the end of the day, they're tired and they're worn out and they're grumpy. And Jesus isn't presenting himself as like a, hey, here's another thing to take your time. Jesus isn't saying, hey, here's another thing to make you more tired. Jesus is saying, could you just come with me for a hot minute and just like take a breather? Here's the reality. Jesus isn't asking you to do more. He's asking you to do less. He isn't asking you to do more. He's asking you to do less. He's saying, I see the strain on your family. I see the strain on your kids. I see, I see the strain in your marriage. I see how you can barely keep up. Um, like, we watched this week this show, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Have you watched this on Netflix? It's like Hoarders, but better. It's, it's really good. So Marie Kondo is this little Japanese woman that I could, like, put in my pocket and carry around. She's this big. And uh, she's written this book on, like, cleaning and your relationship to your possessions that like if it doesn't spark joy, you get rid of it. So you watch all of these families like quote unquote like living the American dream, like they're having, they, they literally have everything, they have 10 of everything, and they are miserable people. They are miserable people, and they are miserable people who become unmiserable by taking every item of clothing they have and piling it on their bed and saying, does this bring me joy or not? And you watch these people's marriages get better. You watch their relationship with their kids get better because they're starting, they're doing less, not more. Right? Which is why, like, then we were, I'm like, like, seriously, paternity leave is coming. Everything is on the bed. I'm doing this. Because I'm, like, super interested. Jesus is asking, I'm not, I, I have no problem with extracurriculars. None. None. Go be missionaries. Go do that. Um. But I'm just saying, like when, you're, like, when you are frantic and overwhelmed all the time, that's not the way of Jesus. Hurry and love are incompatible. Jesus wants you to do less, not more. Third, finally, I think this is important, and I'm kind of finding my way through it as I'm preaching it. But Jesus says in this verse something that's very troubling to me. He says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. I feel like in the last three or four years, we've had a lot of heavy and ill-fitting things put on us. Like just, let's talk about the lens of suffering, like the lens of hard stuff. We've had heavy, it feels like heavy and ill-fitting things have been put on us. It feels to me as your pastor, heavy and ill-fitting things have been put on you. 
So I'm like, does it? And, and then that's one. The le one lens is that. Let's go to another lens. If I did a show of hands right now, how many of you feel comfortable praying out loud in a group? We would, oh, wow, I didn't think you'd really actually answer. Like one in four? <laughs> one in four, okay? I've had people say, I'm not coming to that, I have to pray out loud. <laughs> okay, first of all, I think you have two problems. One, not praying out loud is not a biblical category. We didn't start just thinking our thoughts in our head until, until the enlightenment, until the printing press. When you read, you read out loud. Like when you, when you prayed, you prayed out, that's just how we go. But for me to say to some of you, like, uh, James, come up here and close in prayer today, that feels ill-fitting. That feels heavy, right? Some of you would like, I, still I like to do this sometimes. If you're going to be part of our community, and you know that I'm going to spring responsibility on you unasked. Like Kayla said, when you see your pastor giving you side eyes, right? I'm like looking over her, and she should have done like, slid down the seat. Um, these are ill-fitting and heavy things, it feels like, Right? feels heavy and ill-fitting to try to figure out how to raise your kids to love Jesus. feels heavy and ill-fitting to walk through cancer. It feels so there's a part of you, isn't there, that's tempted to call BS on Jesus. You said you won't lay anything heavy and ill-fitting on me, but I have a lot of heavy and ill-fitting, so I'm going to call BS on that. And, and here's what I'm wondering. Let's start in a position that Jesus is smarter than us. We cannot confess Jesus is Lord without first confessing Jesus is smart. I, I, I'm wondering if Jesus isn't asking us to put down something that feels light so we can actually take on something that's lighter. I think we assume our comfort and our preferences and millennials buzzword, your authenticity, just being who I am. I think we assume that that's light. And so I don't want to do anything that's ill-fitting because it's inauthentic. I don't want to do anything that's ill-fitting because it's uncomfortable. I don't want to do anything that's ill-fitting. It violates my preferences. I don't want to do anything ill-fitting that hurts. I don't want to do anything heavy. But if Jesus is smart, what he's saying is that his heaviness is lighter than ours or his lightness is lighter than our heaviness. Right? Like we have, we, we so cling to authenticity and to comfort and all these things. I'm not going to pray out loud. That feels, that feels inauthentic. I, how dare Jesus allow suffering or whatever he does in regards to suffering in my life? However, how dare he do that? And we say, that's not heavy. And that's, that's heavy. That's ill-fitting. And Jesus says, I'm not going to do that. I think Jesus is saying, I want you to lay down this thing that you think is light. I want you to lay down your convenience I want you to lay down, um, we're going to have a, this marriage event, and some of you aren't going to come because you're like, if I come, that means my marriage is bad. Your marriage probably is, okay? I'm just saying. Like, it probably does need some work, um, but I can't come because then people will know, and we assume that, like, staying in comfort and authenticity is light and free, but it's not. It's actually a prison. It's actually a prison. Only the way of Jesus and what he lays on us is light and free and the way of grace. So here's the shift that we're making, friends, um, is, is we're making a shift toward a practice-based faith. And I want us to move, I, I want us to, I don't want us to move away from something. I want us to take something and bring it over here, okay? And I want us to take our schedules and our lives and our parenting, 
I want us to take our marriages and our dating relationships, our engagements. I want us to take our love for worship or our like this or, or the tingly things that Kyle or other preachers say that make me feel inspired. And I want us to take this and I just want us to bring it over to this place where we don't just get the tingles or get the emotion or have the hard thing and let it be, but that we start bringing onto our life some practices that really transform us and invite us into apprenticeship with Jesus, where we become practitioners of the way, where we step into that father-son connection as his sons and daughters. Because like, listen, when, when Jesus goes to get baptized, friends, like he goes into the water and he comes out and the heavens burst open and, and the father says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And that is what the father has to say to you today. This is my daughter. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And the way that we experience that and massage that into our hearts and experience transformation is undergoing a process of transformation, of taking on these practices. I want us to take all of this stuff and I want us to start putting it into some practices. So you will have homework now at your church. Your church will be the church that gives you homework. Um, there will be a there will be a divide in our church. And the divide will not be old and young, socioeconomic, it will not be any of those things. It will be, it'll be the people who become practitioners and the people who just want to stay at the edges, and that's okay. That's okay, we will keep the altar hot so that when you're ready to kind of stop doing like the, the like let me warm my hands on the fire thing and jump in, we'll be ready. But but we want to be practitioners of the way. So this is, this is the practice for this week. And then we're gonna do communion. Um, this is the practice. First, read Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 every day this week. Read it in multiple versions. Write it on a note card. Tape it on your mirror. Tape it in your car. Tape it at your office. Whatever you need to do. Read Matthew. It, scripture says to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So we wanna get this way of Jesus idea way down deep in us. And then every day, whether you ask it or pray it or journal it, ask these three questions, which I think might be the most important thing I learned in like 2017, 2018, and I keep forgetting. So I, I'm not one to want to get tattoos, but I sometimes want to get these questions tattooed on my arms. But then I don't want to get tattoos because what if I, you know, people that get tattoos get addicted to it. Like what if it awakens something in me? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what if I come to church and I've got a sleeve? So... Um, I also hate pain. I also hate pain. So I like they, the first, it would just be like half of the F and I'd be like, <laughs> um, so three questions to ask every day. Father, what are we doing today? Here's what you do when you wake up. It's what I do when I wake up. I'm in the shower and I'm like, I gotta go to this meeting. I gotta go to this thing. I have this conversation. I'm worried about this person. This conversation is not going to go well. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Change that to what are we doing? Jesus says, I only do what I see my father doing. I only do what I see my father doing. Okay, father, what are we doing today? Always that shifts it. Second one is, what do I need to be reminded of today? And if the response to that in your head is, I need to, should, or must, that's not the voice of Jesus. That's your shame talking to you and your own sense of like being out of control. God will probably want to say, hey, I love you. Hey, I've got your back. Hey, I'm with you. Everything's okay. Everything's at peace. I understand. The last question is, what do I, who do I need to pay attention to? Who do I, and let me, let me tell you about the truth of this question. You're going to ask this question, and in 0.8 seconds, somebody's name is going to come to your mind, and you're going to go, no, 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 that's a bad, that's a bad taco, right? That, that's the lasagna I had last night. It's messing my head. It's not. 
When you say, Father, who do I need to pay attention to today? I mean, instantly, that's going to come to mind. And when that happens, I just text them and I say, hey, what's going on? Praying for you today. Hey, you crossed my mind. Um, and when I follow through on that obedience, um, it's always for somebody else's blessing. And I'm always really glad I did it instead of like just being like, oh, but what if they don't know? What are we doing today? What do I need to be reminded of today? So I said every day, um, let me give you some grace here. It's the unforced rhythms of grace. If you do four out of seven, you pretty much nailed it. I'm not going to lie to you, okay? I have never done anything in my life every day except like brush my teeth and like wake up, which I think brushing my teeth, that's pretty good, right? I mean, um, every day. Church, I want us to uncover and discover this unforced rhythm of grace. Um, and the way that I even want to give us a minute to do on the back of your program, if you have it, I just want to give you a moment to respond to God. So when God speaks to us, we want to respond. So we're just going to give you a minute. Julia and the team are going to come up. Um, then we will uh, sing and then we will take communion um, and we will go home. But let me invite you to just respond to the Father, however. And some of you are like, I just walked into this church and it got weird really fast. Well, that's a lot like being part of a family, isn't it? So um, let me pray. And then if you need a journal, you need to sit there and do nothing, that's fine. But um, Father, thank you so much that, um, uh, thank you so much that your posture toward us is grace. Thank you so much that your posture toward us is kindness. Scripture says it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. I would have assumed it was your anger, but it's not. It's your kindness. And so, God, just as we reach toward you this morning and turn our hearts and minds toward you, uh, would you step out first with your kindness and your grace and show us how you want us to take a real rest. Go ahead and be with Jesus for a minute. We come to this table every week uh, because Jesus feeds us even while we seek after our apprenticeship to him, which is why on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, he offered it to his disciples, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you and for many in forgiveness of sins. He said, eat this meal and drink this cup. Come to me, dine with me at my table. Um, at Regen, this is not our table, it's his. And so if you have a pulse, you are welcome at this table. If you have a pulse, you are welcome at this table. Uh, and so, um, uh, uh, well, Steph and uh, Jairus um, and um, uh, Rebecca Stewart, um, the way we do communion is really simple the way we receive communion you'll come forward someone will rip off a piece of the bread you dip it in the cup like a nacho taste and see that the Lord is good uh, we do have some gluten free stuff too um, but we pray Father that you would pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup that they might become for us the body and blood of Christ and that in eating and drinking of them we might have a deeper hunger and thirst for you Amen the table is open
May you know the rest and grace and freedom of the Lord Jesus, your friend. Um, it's my honest, honestly, it's my sincere hope that I don't see you next week. But if I do, that'll be great. Peace. I love you. We'll see you.